Mizel Beauty Co. creates fuss-free products that work on every skin type using the finest quality, naturally derived ingredients, such as wild plum or bilberry seed oil. Like us, they share a passion for the transformative power of nature, and they encourage their employees and customers to get outside to experience it as much as possible. There is a reason their mantra is naturally active. Hi there, it's Hannah here from Go Jauntly. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Grant Waters of Tranquil City. I've known Grant for a year or two now and I've always found his work really interesting and can't wait to hear more about what he's up to next. Hi Grant, welcome to the show. Hi Hannah. So you're in between Paris and London at the minute. I'm so glad we managed to get some of your time. You must be really busy. I'm busy travelling back and forth, but um, I'm in London a lot, so... It's, um, I'm quite enjoying living and experiencing the two cities. It's quite interesting to see and notice the difference as it changed over time, actually. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit? Because I'm it's, sure they want to know more. Yeah, so my name's Grant. I'm an urbanist and an acoustician, so a background in sound. Um, and I started the Tranquil City sort of adventure in 2016, where I sort of needed a bit of time and space away from day-to-day life and getting a bit too overwhelmed and I found myself gravitating towards these spaces and I felt like this is something that I really benefited, benefited from. And I sort of started that and it's sort of encapt- it's kind of taken over my life a little bit. Um, my whole mental capacity is... So it's is, like you kind of found these amazing tranquil places and then wanted to share them with everyone else and now maybe they're not so tranquil anymore? Yeah, I've kind of ruined it for everyone. <laughs> I feel a bit like that with walking sometimes because every time I go on holiday, I'm like, right, I've got to make a jaunt for the app. And then so I'm like, making the jaunt, taking the pictures. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not stopping and listening and watching and noticing. So it's a, it's a fine balance because obviously it's really, I'm really, really lucky to be able to go and do these walks for work. But at the same time, it is still work. Yeah, and no, I think what I do think about, about Go Jauntly is that you don't actually escape because at least at Tranquil City we've been doing it and focusing in London. That's true. And I see you posting or other people posting their walks around the country, around different countries. I'm thinking, well, at least when I get out of London, I can just switch off a little bit because I am always always thinking, oh, maybe I'll just post this. And and there's times where I'm just thinking, I just want to sit here and enjoy it. Yeah. I do do try and notice that, but I, I find it hard. Do you think, like, now that you're in Paris as well, that you might do Tranquil City Paris whilst you're there? Definitely. A couple of us, actually, from the team are, um, are Parisians. Mm. So, and it is such a beautiful city. It's, and it's it's good to notice the, the differences in the spaces that they have there compared to the dynamics that they have we have here. Mm. Um, so, definitely. There's already some spaces posted probably by us as a, as yeah. a team. Because it feels like it's going to start like spreading, right? Because you, you you must nearly have London nailed now. I think uh, what I like about it is that it's always dynamic, so it would never yeah, be finished. that's true. But that's also the endless And I guess some project. places that were tranquil might not be tranquil anymore. Yeah, but then there's the new ones that pop up. Exactly. That's, that's our justification for, yeah, for promoting true. these spaces. So how can people get involved then? So people just need to hashtag Tranquil City London and if they want to bring in their new city their own cities, just put in hashtag Tranquil City and add in the add in your city. Um at the moment we're pulling in the spaces from Tranquil City London from Instagram and mapping them on our, our Tranquil pavement. But that's the simplest way to get involved really. And what are you gonna do with all that data? <laughs> so firstly it's you can see them pop up on the map yeah. for other people to, to look at. So So if you want to find somewhere. Exactly. If you want to find somewhere, you can use the map. 
Um, if you want to share something, you can use the map. And initially, that that's the kind of self self um, facilitating thing that we wanted to, to create. That you post, you can see, you can and also find other people's spaces that they've posted to. Sort of sharing is caring type approach. Yeah, we love that approach. And I love that way back when, when I first reached out to you, because I was a little bit nervous about reaching out, because I was like, is he going to think that, I don't know, I'm trying to steal his idea or something? <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I, I remember emailing you going, hey, I think you're really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Can we meet up? <laughs> because, like, at the end of the day, we need each other, right, to, to collaborate. Like, you can't do this alone. Definitely. Definitely. I think collaboration is the, the key thing that I really love and I thrive on, I think. Um, and I'm only just starting to notice that. But I think in, in initiatives like uh, both of our ones, which have the same goal, mm. it's just it's kind of silly not to. Yeah. And I think just helping each other out. Well, we've got these skill sets where we're, we're a, bit, a, a bunch of environmental um, consultants, basically. Yeah, you um, called yourself an urbanist, which I need to explore because I'm not sure I know what that means. I don't know what it means, but it sounds cool. Okay. I might I call myself an urbanist. If you, I find that... <laughs> Relating to the city is something that I've really, yeah. really, uh, it feels like I've sort of ingrained myself within the you city grew a bit. up here, right? No, oh. I grew up in Essex. Oh, yeah, that's right. But you've lived here a long time? Uh, 10 years. Okay. And since university, really. Did you go to university here then? Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Was it in a town in Essex or is it sort of like... Yeah, a little village in Essex okay. outside Colchester. So you weren't an urbanist before then, do you think? No. No. I grew up to be one. You grew up to be one. <laughs> And you are as well. I know. Well, I grew up in a city and... Um, Which city did you Portsmouth. grow up? Portsmouth. Okay. Yeah. South Coast, for reals. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, it's a seaside town. It's a naval town. And I don't know, it was like pretty quiet. But I guess everyone still knows everyone, even though it's like the biggest city, um, I think, outside of London. I don't know. I probably made that stat up, but that's what they used to say when I was little. And I wasn't really a walker. Mm. Um, but now... I really love it, but I can only do short walks. Yeah, because we've done walks together. Um, Were they borderline too too long? A little bit you? too long. <laughs> <laughs> With the Tranquil City project, you've kind of managed to get quite a bit of funding. You're now like on a kind of venture trail I guess you're working with mm -hmm. Bethnal Green Ventures who are like amazing supporters of Tech for Good yep. how's that going is it feeling like a business now um, it's going really well um, it was really exciting to start that accelerator and it really flagged up quite a few things that um, we were we were really doing it as an experiment essentially for the last three years and it's been great but then it's not necessarily something we could sustain to do it all the time because I've been taking a lot of time off work and basically my my job as an acoustician has sort of been very flexible and very great at supporting me in doing Tranquil City but obviously that's not sustainable um, no. so I've been sort of reducing my outgoings um, quite significantly and, and earning a lot less to do it so that's a forfeit that I'm willing to take because I love what doing Tranquil City um, but then myself and Ben who's sort of leading it now um, with the wider team of nine of us, really started to focus on what we could do to help others. And this is what this potential collaboration with you guys and others... Hot is, off the press. Hot off the press. Um, where we can start to use our expertise with data uh, and what tranquility means from a psychological point of view, from an environmental context, uh, and start to really make use of it in, in such great user 
friendly apps such as yourselves. I'm um, really excited about our, our collaboration um, because you're awesome and the work that you're doing is awesome and we're so like-minded, which I yeah, think definitely. really, really helps. And then there's also this kind of like burning desire god that sounds weird um but just to help make walking easier and yeah. that's like that's just basically what what you know the whole driving reason behind go jointly and if if we can make it so that people can choose between like the most tranquil route the fastest route um the most scenic route historical mm-hmm. route i think that's really exciting i think that would be such a great opportunity to unlock more hidden gems for people and Definitely. like walking in cities you know it's still I don't know, it still feels a bit like a paradox, maybe, like they can't go hand in hand. But I think what we found is that they can. For example, the Capital Ring um, walks that we did with Transport for London, they're Mm -hmm. super popular now. And they do go through quite urban areas. Um, But everyone loves them and it's such a great route. And we're also finding a lot of people enjoying um, routes where you like stop off in different places. So another one of our popular routes at the moment is um, called Botanic Shop Hopping in East London. And it goes along Regent's Canal um, into some amazing botanic plant shops and like past some nice pubs and it's like an experience like you're going out for an experience and I think that's what walking should be it's yeah. like it should be like a pastime again yeah definitely I think the I wonder what you what were the what was that what was that barrier you said that you think of as a as to for urban walking like is there's that, so said, many barriers I think um, like whether something's safe whether it's okay. um, you can take kids with you like whether there's toilets on route whether there's benches on route because like I'm a really lazy walker I need to know that there's a bench because I get out of breath. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Benches are good. You can sit and take notice, right? Yeah, exactly. I guess before I used to feel like, oh, I'm not fit, but now I don't really care because I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sit down and no. I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to soak it up and I'm going to look at that peacock butterfly over there. Yeah, because I was listening to your podcast with Dan oh, um, yeah. from National Park City and you're saying about just staring at bees. I know. And I do exactly the same. Do you? Looking at the pollen on their back was something I noticed a few months ago, do, which is quite have fun. Have you seen a bee's tongue? No. <laughs> I haven't got that close. <laughs> so we had a bee in the garden yesterday, I think. And it was like, you know, when they get a bit disorientated and they're yeah. sort of like bumping into things and they're kind of gasping and they're probably like a little bit knackered. And so I read somewhere. Bench. Yeah. So I read somewhere that you give them like sugary water or something. And so we put a bit of honey in a teaspoon and or on a piece of paper and then put a glass over it and it got its tongue out and it was like licking up (laughs) licking up the honey it was mad like I've never seen it you don't think of bees as cute or at least when I was a kid I didn't think of bees as cute but they are damn cute little tiny fluffy things Go around hoovering up honey water. Yeah, for dehydrated bees. <laughs> yeah. No, it was really cute. And you just like, it's just the details. It's like noticing those like micro details, which I think, I don't know, helps you. Connect. So how do you, I mean, how do you connect with nature? I think slowing down is the biggest thing. Yeah. Trying to look at and notice things that make the things that are built up in my head seem meaningless or not as uh, important as I'm building them up to be yeah i think that's that's it for me it doesn't necessarily have to be nature it's kind of just noticing things i think no nature itself helps me do that a lot easily a lot easier and how when did you find out that it was a, a relief for you i guess this is how the whole idea came about but were you going through a really tough time i think yeah i mean i was 
working in London for five years. That's and a tough time. <laughs> everyone's, yes, yeah, or 10 million or 8 million people in London. But, you know, you feel overwhelmed, overworked. I'm very a bit of a perfectionist. I'm a bit of oh, a so am I. obsessive person. Yeah. And it doesn't really, I struggle with that. Yeah, it's and hard. I feel for you. I think, yeah, it's not uncommon, but I had to take time off work because I was over, mm. overworked, overstressed. That's really good that you did that. And my boss sort of said, just take time off. And I'm like, okay, I have to. I have to. So it's kind of That's like, so I didn't do it That's so good that you had myself. an understanding boss, though, because, you know, like that, some of that is like the barrier, isn't it? It's like to just tell someone, you know what? I'm going to have to pull a sick day, week, fortnight because I really don't feel very well right now. Yep. Yeah. It's a mental health break, essentially. Yeah. And I think we, even if it is, you know, feeling anxious, overwhelmed, that's just enough reason as if you're feeling ill, yeah. you got stuff in nose or something. Norovirus. Like, no, exactly, something like that. <laughs> just man flu. But yeah, yeah, having a mental health break is, is definitely, and a bit of time off is, is what, it should be completely mm. more widely accepted to do that, because that's really helped me, and just having that time off and, and re-evaluating things, I try and do that every so often, as mm. much as I can. Now, as you may or may not know, we have a walking app called Go Jauntly. And because one of our main aims in life is to try and encourage you to walk more and discover new places to visit, Shane from Go Jauntly is going to take us through his favourite walks each week. You can find out more on our website or you can download the app. But in the meantime, Shane, what have you got for us today? Hi, Hannah. This week, my pick is going to be Smoo Cave and Clifftop Walk. It's by one of the great members of the Gojantly community. It's way, way up in northern Scotland. First of all, it has a great name. Sounds like a place right out of a Dr. Seuss book. Secondly, the walk looks amazing. The route winds down these cliffs to a beautiful beach, and depending on the tides, you can either walk into a cave or take a boat trip in. Inside, there's a huge waterfall pouring down. After checking that out, you can follow the route back up and along the top of the cliffs to admire the stunning views out to sea. I've been thinking about doing a Scotland road trip lately, so this is definitely a stop to add to my list. Thanks so much, Shane. We're just going to go back to the podcast interview now. Do you find yourself suffering from eco-anxiety at all? Define, could you define, define it. that for me? So um, I feel like oh. we kind of submerge ourselves quite a lot in, you know, what's going on in the planet, climate breakdown, Extinction Rebellion on the news, mm-hmm. um, plastic pollution. And I've kind of gone through like these phases recently of being like really, really overwhelmed with it all. Like I don't just see like one piece of plastic now. I see like a sea of plastic and like you've got all this plastic mm-hmm. and your neighbor's got all this plastic and it's plastic, plastic, plastic. And this is just plastic. This isn't even like climate breakdown. And so I feel like maybe because we're more connected with nature or we feel like we are more connected or working in nature, there is a potential for a higher rate of anxiety mm. related to climate yeah. breakdown. Does that make sense? No, definitely. I, I do suffer. As soon as you started describing it, I got what you meant. Um, again, uh, again, might be my obsessive type thing, but I, yeah. I get very anxious about when I notice things like that, if it's plastic yeah. waste or if I'm reusing too much water or something like that, and if I'm flying too much, mm. which I've sort of cut down as much as I can, and, yeah. and I'm still like, well, I need to go away on holiday, but then where do I go? And just enjoying... some great places in the app. Exactly. But, <laughs> but I, you're I, right. I, I get very, um, yeah, I'm very aware of that at the moment, yeah. and I think that 
that's, that again, that's not uncommon either. No. And I think that level of anxiety is something that... Um, I just like being able to talk about it with people as well, because like... I'm not going to, I shouldn't say the B word, but Brexit. Um, like there was, everyone was quite open with anxiety around Brexit and what's happening and what's not what going to happen. And there's just like constant tearing and throwing. And now, like, actually, I feel, feel like our attention should be on climate breakdown, climate emergency. Mm-hmm. And it's still taking its time um, to happen, but hopefully it will happen soon. And, and But you kind of almost, you have to go through those like five stages of grief or whatever it is with climate breakdown. It's almost like, you know, like the whole kind of denial and anger mm-hmm. and like anxiety to the point where you're like move through the next stage where it's like, yeah. right, let's roll up our sleeves and, and do this now. And I hope hope soon that I will get to that point where I feel a bit, bit more confident. I think it's uh, a lot to do with vision, isn't it? Yeah. I think that um, campaign groups such as Extinction Rebellion is is kind of setting that, that vision out for a lot of us and yeah. saying, well, and Greta Thunberg as well. I think that that vision is just enabling something to have a perspective on what the future could look like. Yeah. Means that means that anxiety has a bit more of a focus and you can say actually as a way to solve it. And really it's not really that complicated. It's and not. it's not technology. It's yeah. kind of lifestyle behaviour change. Yeah. Um, it's just how initially. quickly that can happen. Because, you know, we spoke to Dan about his theory that, you know, we'd feel the way we feel about cars now, we feel like VHS and CDs and things like that. And I just can't imagine anyone feeling like that about cars because they're like a status symbol. They're a symbol of freedom and many, 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 many people need them. And so I guess it's hard for me to kind of see that. But it feels like that kind of change needs to happen, like car-free Sunday, every Sunday in cities Mm -hmm. and and, and places like that. I was reading about a, um, a place in Vietnam where they were closing some of the streets. And the reason they were closing them, apparently, not necessarily for pollution, but was for having a more tranquil place for people Mm -hmm. to kind of congregate. Just that idea of shutting the cities for to cars like once a week. I think people could get behind that potentially. I, might, I don't know if I'm being a naive, but it feels like something you could be like, okay, yeah, we can do that. Like we might grumble, but it would be all right. Definitely. Uh, that's what happened in Bogota in Colombia. Yeah. Um, Diana from Tranquil City is from there. Yeah. And uh, I think definitely it's, it's, it's kind of, um, again, it's about that understanding what it could be like in those situ- in that better future mm. and we can really we can't really cognitively model what it's like until it happens so those car free days or those car free weekends whatever you want to call it, whatever how frequently they, ha- they happen are en- enabling us to envision a better city mm. and that's the kind of thing that mental attitude that change in mindset that national park city is about that's what tranquil city is about that's what go jaunty is about mm. and it's like well let's just set this little idea of what it could potentially be like. And when you said about the air pollution, it's not necessarily the primary focus. That's that's a key thing too. Like, it's not necessarily just about reducing our exposure to harmful things. It's about increasing our exposure to beneficial things. And tranquility, we think, is a bit more of a holistic viewpoint to say, actually, slow down, notice, bring a bit of nature, bring a bit of calmness, a bit of quiet, a bit of better, cleaner air, and go out and play a bit and enjoy a city, feel safe. And it's kind of a bit more of a holistic way of looking at things rather than just avoiding some noise pollution and, yeah. and, and climate breakdown. It's actually, let's live in a better better place. Because we were talking to Carol Wright, who I know you know recently, mm-hmm. and she was saying about how just in the last 10, 20 years, this sort of like right to roam in cities or the freedom that you used to get, um, I guess if you're a child of the 80s or the 70s, that you don't really get now, like it... and you, 
and it's true. Like, I can't imagine letting my son out to play mm. in the streets currently with the amount of cars there are on the road. And it's just, it's that seems really sad. That it is. So maybe this whole concept of green cities revolution, which you guys are talking about quite a lot, and I guess we've been talking about here, maybe that is like the kind of North Star that we should all be heading to. So we shouldn't be talking about smart cities. It's more like green cities. I think smart is uh, being overtaken by technology. And I yeah. think that if you're really thinking about human-centred cities, I think it needs to be with or without technology. Um, technology should aid that, aid a, a better experience for the human and maybe even wildlife as well, so not to be speciesist. Yeah. But I think um, creating a city that children can feel safe and happy in is probably a good measure for whether a city works well for any of us. Yeah. I mean, if you can let your kids out to roam. I don't know if we, you were allowed out to play when you were a kid. I was when I was in a village, but... I didn't necessarily. Where did you go? Well, we just played on the street. Play football, skateboard, went around the whole village, walked around anywhere, and come back at 6 p.m. or something. <laughs> Where's my dinner? Yeah. Dinner yeah, no, I was, I was actually allowed out a little bit um, at, different, at different junctions in my life. And I just, like, I look back now and I just remember, like, jumping on my bike and it was in, like, an estate somewhere in Aldershot. And I just used to like cycle around. I like God knows what I was doing, just like cycling around, not caring the world, <laughs> um, and like maybe checking out all the different parks, you know, like because there was like different playgrounds and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But it just seems—I don't know—it just seems like a lifetime ago. I guess it is a lifetime ago, but it just seems like a long time ago. I just hope I—I I hope that maybe in the countryside, kids still do that. And it's just because I'm a city girl and been I in the cities so. and it just seems so like unfamiliar to me, even though I guess in cities people are probably, or kids are probably a lot more streetwise. Maybe I can't really say. Mm. But I think it's whether it, it's obviously a bit of both between both mindset and also safety and, and other concerns. So it's it's a very complex thing, but it's, it's definitely something to aim for yeah. where you can allow your kids out to to go and play without worrying about them whether it's from environmental pollution or whether it's from literally literally a risk from yeah from cars or just people. otherwise people. <laughs> people great and there's so many of us so moving on um you, have you been working with the university of surrey recently what have you been doing with them yeah so we um well ellie ratcliffe is an environmental psychologist there and i've known her for about a year in a bit now, I think, um, introduced through a mutual friend. Um, and, yeah, she's been helping look at and kind of give weight to what we're doing. So we're obviously environmental consultants like noise and air pollution and sustainability um, consultants, but she brings a bit more weight on the psychological benefits of what we're saying. So what, what does a restorative space really mean? Why is it good for us? What are the features of that? And how do you give justification to the positive benefits of, of, of spending time in these? Linking with um, you know, the recent research that come out from the University of Exeter, which is the two-hour dose uh, sitting in nature um, a week can be significantly better for us or improve well-being. And that sort of thing needs to have a bit of weight behind it in order to justify it. We all know it's really probably true. It probably um, makes sense. <laughs> and there's so much research now that there says is. that <laughs> that is true. It's just relating it to more practical things such as our project and Go Jointly as well is really 
um, helpful because it gives it gives a bit more credibility to what we're saying. Mm. Not that it isn't credible, but it's just that it gives a bit of scientific weight to it. Do you think um, there are other barriers that we've not thought about, perhaps to walking or to accessing tranquil spaces? Definitely. Um, never say that I know everything. Mm. I think I'm not sure. I guess a lot of it is to do with, in my opinion, a lot to do with awareness. Yeah. Um, and that's something we're trying to focus our attention on. It's not necessarily the fact that they exist and sort of saying, here you go. Here you go. It's, um, it's not just a thing of having a website and saying, here they exist. There's a lot more to it. Um, there's people who will pick up an app and use it. But what are those barriers before you get to that app or even think about looking for it? Like, mm -hmm. why, why is that... How do you give people the right information to look at a potential concern to their risk of health or look at something that could improve their lives and doing something about it? Mm. And that's that behaviour change that we, again, with, with Ellie from the University of Surrey, we're looking at how do we look at driving that behaviour change? Because from a psychological perspective, this is so much better, or it can be very beneficial to you. But what is that? What are the, what's that gap between mm. providing something that can give you that help you find that benefit and make use of it um, to actually going out and doing it? We live busy lives, right? And it feels like maybe going out um, for a wee cycle or going for a jaunt, pop into the local park. It's kind of lower on the priority list, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But it shouldn't be, is what you're saying. How do we integrate it into? day to day and mm. that that that's something when you said about the green cities revolution uh, we had des fitzgerald from cardiff university speak at our national park city event which is unfortunately on exactly the same day as yours mm. um it looked good i nosied at your story yeah it was really good and we had ellie speak there we had des fitzgerald and des uh, is a sociologist and he's looking at that green cities revolution what does it mean and really that concept is not not new at all it's been over 100 years and probably even more than that, people have been speaking about the benefits of nature and how do you integrate it into the city. But I think the the thing is now is that it's not necessarily creating a garden city like Welland. Um, it's actually looking at how do you integrate it in what we've got so at the moment. How do you integrate nature so it's actually part of every day and not something you go out and visit? How do you reduce those barriers so then you literally walk out your door and you're in that experience rather than... I'm going to go out on a Sunday afternoon and go for a jaunt. Mm. I need to go for a jaunt when I go to the tube. I want to go for a jaunt when I go to work or take my kids to school. That That's the level that we need to integrate it. So then it's not a choice that you make. It's kind of mm. the infrastructure is there. Yeah. And it's, but it's because of the bottom up sort of approach that people have to start creating. I think that's the difference again with, with nowadays the green revolution is, is from a bottom up approach. It's people saying they need it, not top down designers saying this is how a city should be, should look like, like a garden city. No, it's uh, actually. So well in garden city was modeled on a garden city. I know that sounds like. <laughs> um, I think it was an example of the example concept of, of a of garden it. city. Yeah. Cause I visited and it's soulless. Sorry for anyone that lives in Warren Garden City. But when I went on a day, it was particularly drab. But it was it felt very kind of structured. It wasn't like... It's a top-down yeah. design. God, so it's not a user-centred approach then, potentially. No, I mean, it, I, th I can't remember when it was built, but it's either yeah. um, in the late 1800s, I think. Okay. Um, but it's, it's, it's God, looking I at it from like a top... 
top-down approach. Oh, I see. It definitely felt more modern, like it was a modern example of a city, but if it was from the 1800s, then... Correct, might have to correct that date, but yeah, okay. we'll have a look at it later. Yeah. Um, can talk about Ebenezer it next time. Howard is the designer. All right. I'm going to look into that because that was quite interesting because I have been there before and didn't get that vibe from it, so that's quite interesting. It's good so, to question why you felt it was dead yeah. or like very soulless. Yeah. What, what are the reasons why and how, how, how can we make that different? It's, yeah, because you ask all these questions on a walk as well, which I really like. You ask people to think <laughs> about how they feel now on one side of the road and then like around the corner. Like, what are you expecting people to say? Or are you not expecting them to say anything? Sometimes they don't say anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> but I hope they're thinking something. Yeah. I mean, I'm not lo- necessarily looking for for people to shout out, this This is how I'm feeling right now. Mm. Some people do. But I think it's nice to ask that because how often do you walk down the street and go, actually, I feel like this now because of my environment? Or, you know, the, a Tranquil City walk, and we did, did one together, is like is kind of asking those questions to yourself and it's is enabling you to think about that on a day-to-day basis because we should be asking how am i feeling on this walk am i annoyed because there's so much traffic am i feeling like a breather pollution or am i looking at trees and noticing a bee's tongue <laughs> <laughs> that that's the stuff that i think we should be asking ourselves because that helps me slow down and contemplate things because mm. I'm like, well, I am enjoying this space or I'm not enjoying this space and why am I not enjoying this space or why am I enjoying this space? So hopefully all of this sort of like data that you're capturing, all of this on and on my data about location and thoughts and feelings and things like that of tranquil spaces, it can go on to help people design cities in a more like, what's it, mm. what we're going to say, user-centred way? Yes, yeah, a human approach. Human I think approach. I mean, we're not collecting that much data in terms of um, we're just whatever people post, we get a location, get the photo and get a description. Um, um, We're looking at more potentially um, subjective well-being studies Mm. to actually uh, make sense of it from a subjective point of view. But the the data of people's spaces and their opinions is really useful in just to understand the variety of these spaces. Well, I guess that adds a human, like, customer-centric approach to that element of design. It gives a sense of giving as well i mean i think i think from a understanding the subjective is something i'm really interested in because you know everything can be designed by um from it it works um as from a functionality point of view yeah um maybe your comment on welling garden city is kind of that same thing it can from a from a top-down point of view can look great Mm. but what if what if does it actually work does it Mm. work as a city does it work as an ecosystem i'm imagining like a maslow triangle hierarchy of needs in this this feels like a whole other session (laughs) probably (laughs) i I tend to take things to a different um tangent we're now going to go on a lecture with grant (laughs) waters um so what's your website should we tell everyone so it's tranquilcity.co.uk and instagram is um tranquil city app as well as Twitter. Great. And all of your events you post up on your website, don't you? Yeah, mostly you can find out about them on, on yeah, social media. We've been on a couple and we've loved them. So if you guys are in and around London, I highly recommend checking them out. You get to meet a whole hodgepodge of people and they're always proper lols. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for coming on today, Grant. Thank it you. was a really amazing to talk to you. I know you're busy, so I appreciate it. No, always got time for you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. 
was really nice talking to Grant today. It's been fascinating learning more about the Green Cities Revolution. I believe it's really important to collaborate with like-minded organisations and people as together we can achieve so much more. Some series highlights for me are chatting to James Wong about botany and his amazing indoor plant collection. It was great to hear what Will Norman, London's Walking and Cycling Commissioner, is doing to try and help make London a safer city to travel around. Tessa Clark's tips on how to store food to prevent food waste were amazing. And just learning more about what Carol Wright and Grant Waters are doing to help make London a greener, more tranquil place. And it was great to talk to Dwayne about his amazing adventure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nature Bants. Don't forget to rate it and subscribe to the whole series. Go Jauntly is an app to help you discover walks, create your own and share outdoor adventures with friends. You can download the app over on the App Store and the Play Store. You can find us over on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at GoJauntly.